Today, I invite you to stop, to rest, to delight, and to contemplate the goodness of God as He cherishes you as an individual and us as the church. Would you pray together with me? Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Lord, speak to us today. We thank you for what you've taught us through the book of Philippians. Help us to rejoice always, to focus on what is good and true and upright, to persevere in hope and to trust in you and to be like you, Jesus, our humble servant. We pray for the kiddos who are worshiping now not far from here. We pray that you would give them confidence that you've begun a good work in them and you'll continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So protect and grow them as well. We love you, Lord. And Lord, today I pray that the words of my heart and the med meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When a message on a sign or marquee is unclear, it can result in some unexpected humor. Just imagine this pastor getting the phone call, which is on the marquee. Take a look here. Imagine the calls he's going to get there because the message was just a little bit unclear. And imagine if you were a Methodist church camp and wanted to let everyone know where the Bible camp is, but PennDOT told you the sign can only be this long. I mean... Folks, that idea went up in smoke, okay? My goodness. Let me make this message very clear. Are you listening? Yes. Okay. I love the 1960s and 1970s. Thank you, child of that decade. And I want to show you my treasure chest. Okay, growing up was a really fun time. This is my baby blanket, okay? Yes, I know it's starting to uh, get dilapidated, but a story about this, why is it in my treasure chest? We were very young. My parents took Lori and David and me on a vacation. Uh, we were going out, I think, to Missouri to learn about Huck Finn. And uh, some, air, some cars, younger people, some cars didn't always have what's called air conditioning. So the windows were down, I was doing this, and it flew out. I was quiet. My loving sister said about half an hour later, Dad, I think Dan's sad because uh, he lost his blanket. My father, sitting right there, we turned around 30 minutes later, found this on the edge of a cliff, about to go over. He taught me what the love of Jesus looks like, who pursues us. Let's give that dude a hand. Yeah, come on. Oh, what else? If you have an hour sometime, I'll show you more treasure. But I was a comic book guy. Here's Underdog. There's no need to fear, right? 
Abbott and Costello. You know, really cool stuff. One of my most prized treasures is this Mike Schmidt rookie card. I got this in 73 in a pack of Topps cards with brittle gum. And for some reason, I didn't tape it to my closet with scotch tape or put it in between the spokes of my wheels. This thing is precious, and therefore, I protect it. I want you to know as well, I love history. And in 1952, on this date in history, KFC opened its first franchise in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the 11 herbs and spices recipe is locked in a, in a safe vault in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, original recipe, extra crispy. Yes, exactly. I want you to know something else happened on this exact date in history. The year was 1964. The... Uh, the network was CBS, and a show came on for just a couple of seasons, 70 episodes. Listen to this theme song and tell your neighbor if you know the name of it, and then start naming Nate, the Nates of the world. Start naming some of the actors and actresses in it. Hit it, Mark! Well, the answer is the Munsters. Did you get that right? Fred Gwynn, all those other guys, Al Lewis or something like that. Why is that in here? Why is that in here? But what's amazing, folks, is that lasted just two seasons. I'm not sure, but I think either Batman made it go kapow or the Gilligans sent it out to sea. I'm not sure which one it was. But I want you to know the analogy with his memorabilia and these reflections are this. You, like my Schmidt rookie card, are valued and you are protected. Please receive that. I feel nostalgic about the 60s and 70s, obviously. Now, my parents did shield me from Watergate and Vietnam, but there was a beautiful innocence. Playgrounds were full, doors were unlocked. I could walk into my neighbor's house, the Boyers, and open their refrigerator. Did any of you grow up in that kind of a situation? Many of you? It was just a precious time. There was less polarization, yes? And we got by without cell phones. I played Atari Pong. It was a two-dimensional thing. I think it's the first video game ever. Blip, blip, blip. And you could make the paddle larger or smaller. But really... The internet and social media were not there to distract me from being in sports and marching band. Admittedly, I'm looking back with rose-colored glasses, but I had a great foundation, especially in my local church not far from here. Good, quirky, loving people. We did life together. They were flawed but beautiful, and they gave me self-esteem. They gave me ministry opportunities, and I still am able occasionally to keep contact with those beautiful people of the faith. So this box here, it represents the church, a protective covering that we all have. And unlike those church signs we just saw, I want us to hear a clear objective for today's uh, worship communion in this devotional time. We are going to explore three sets of evidence that God treasures us, and then examine three responses to that evidence. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what the goal is for today so that there's no confusion. Go ahead. Give you 10 seconds to do that.
The love of God is greater far than pen or tongue could ever tell. I don't know if you know this uh, beautiful hymn written during World War I. It describes the measureless depth of the Lord. Here's how the chorus goes. Sing along or listen if you don't know it. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. The first evidence we're going to look at of God's love and His treasuring of the church is the Old Testament evidence. You know, the Bible is God's love letter to mankind. The Old Testament too. It's His gift to us. A revelation of His plan of redemption through Jesus His Son. And I think it's important to know that even before the church was born, as we just sang, God's love for His chosen people was evident. Take the pillar of clouds. Um, Genesis 17, I believe, or Exodus 17. One of those two. It's, It's in that 17th chapter. Even before Jesus was born, God showed His protection and His desire to guide His people. The book of Psalms covers such a wide array of emotions and suggests that God can handle whatever emotions we are handling, experiencing, and conveying. The Song of Solomon, which is primarily an explanation or a depiction of a love between a husband and wife, can also be considered by some theologians as an allegory of Christ's love for the church. And so we can learn from that as well. The law itself was a gift of God's treasuring of us. The covenant relationship that even if we blow it, God will remain faithful. Wow! The Ten Commandments are a great gift. Take the Fourth Commandment. It's the longest one. What's it about? Honoring the Sabbath to keep it holy. Sabbath is a time of replenishment. It's a time of worship designed by God who lovingly made it to be a part of the rhythms of our life. A pastor who went to the same seminary as Mark did up in Boston, his name is Pete Scazzaro, he suggested that Sabbath should include four stages, stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. Let's be doing that all day today. Now, there's a second evidence of God's love for us. It is the New Testament evidence. You know, first of all, there were multiple eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and His resurrection. At one time, as many as 500 people saw Jesus in person after His resurrection. That is a gift to the church when skepticism tries to trickle its way into the foundations of our knowledge of who God is. And you know, the the, uh, Gospels are written from various perspectives. A couple of fishermen, a tax collector a persecutor of the church. How beautiful is that? The stories of Jesus' earthly ministry are also a gift to us. Jesus wept. The first Bible verse I memorized, John 11, 35, right? 
That weeping of Jesus conveys his love for his people that he grieves when we grieve. I think of the parables also, especially the parable of the lost coin. What a gift for us to see in simplified terms what the love of God is, that, he's, that we're precious to him and he wants us back. Without a doubt, the greatest evidence of God treasuring us is that he gave his only son to die and rise again so that we could be with him through eternity. If we fast forward to the, even the end of the New Testament, we see seven love letters to the church. John was on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea, not far from the seven churches in present-day Turkey. And if you think about it, those Letters to the church, which are sternly worded for most of them, are evidence of his love. Let's be like the church of Philadelphia, who perseveres and strives to the end. Not like the Ephesian church, who lost their first love. Or the Laodicean church, who had become neither hot nor cold, but in their complacency in a town of relative wealth, they had become lukewarm. How do we call these love letters? Because Jesus himself said, through the angel that appeared to John, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If you are coming under the discipline of the Lord right now in any way, thank him. That means he cares. There's a third evidence of God's love for his church. And it's been the past 2,000 years. Think of the church being scattered when there was persecution beginning. What did that do? It spread the gospel. Early Christians dying, being martyred, that caused the church to grow. As folks watched the lions eating them and said, I want that faith also. The canonization of the scriptures protected the ancient words for us. Men and women like Constantine, Martin Luther, John Wycliffe, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, Billy Sunday, and Billy Graham, and so many other countless men and women, unknown heroes of the faith. They were flawed. Every person I named there, we can find a dent in the armor, folks, but they were used by God to grow and protect the church. You might say you've done nothing to pass this baton of faith along, but do remember this, friend. It is not really what any of us have done. It's just proclaiming what Jesus Christ has done. Amen, brothers and sisters? I want you to know inventions like the printing press, Gutenberg, that made the gospel more fully accessible. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. Periods of revival have happened, great awakenings, if you will, many of them following times of complacency and men and women getting on their knees and praying to God. I think of the Civil War when it is estimated that up to 200,000 soldiers, both Union and Rebel, committed their lives to Jesus through tent meetings and personal one-to-one -one evangelism. You know, guys, also there are historical and archaeological proofs that point to God's love. 1947, we had just survived World War II. My dad tells me that some people even thought that Hitler was the Antichrist. There was that feeling, and there's just this sadness from the horrors of the Holocaust. God said, my folks need a little God wink. And he caused some shepherds 
east of Jerusalem to go in a cave. I think they threw a stone in and they heard this noise. They uncovered what ended up being the Dead Sea Scrolls, up to 230 manuscripts with every book in the Old Testament represented except I think the book of Esther. The entire book of Isaiah was there on animal skins and it was preserved. And what it showed was the scriptures that we were looking at from years and years and decades and centuries of translation, they almost mimicked exactly those texts from 2,000 years ago with the exception of some grammatical and spelling errors. Let's give the Lord a hand for that gift. The Dead Sea Scrolls, just unbelievable. You know, I want you to know too, during times of persecution, the church grows. Not so much because of the persecution, but rather in the face of it. Pastor Ken and Dave were mentioning in staff meeting about in China, how after the Boxer Rebellion, and then about 50 years later with the Chinese Communist Revolution, Christians had to go in hiding. Did the church shrivel and die? It did not. It grew. I worry sometimes that in democratic societies, it seems that peace and some wealth lead to complacency and then can coincide with some Laodicean lukewarmness. Is it too comfortable for us to follow Jesus right now in America? I'm not praying for trials and tribulations, but if they're coming, may the church remain strong. Look at this amazing slide. Thank you, Wycliffe, for this. Global Scripture Access. There are almost 4,000 language groups that know that God loves them. 97% of people in the world have access to parts of Scripture. It's especially the Gospel of John. What a great place to start with translation. This is beautiful. Miracles like this are happening. But never forget that the greatest miracles are changed lives. That he who began a good work in you and me will continue to perform it. I saw a miracle last evening. I was out near Camp Strauss, and despite the rain, there were acres and acres of sunflowers bowing down their heads the same direction in worship. Not one of those sunflowers was saying, I am not getting the attention that this one is getting, or that guy got more fertilizer than I did, or look at me. They were in unison, bowing in reverent worship to the Creator, despite the rain. An hour later, a less exciting but equally apt image came to me. I decided to watch the Penn State game. The Phillies had already won, so I didn't have to worry about jinxing them prior to being here today, but I saw a sea of white. I saw a whiteout. And folks had given up their individual rights for that evening to wear what everyone else wore and to cheer on with vehement support the team that I think shut them out, didn't they win big? What an amazing contrast. Loud throngs of worship, quiet, reverent awe. I believe the church can and do, should do both of those extremes. But I ask you, are you looking for evidence that God treasures you? Open your spiritual eyes. We've seen now three evidences of God's great love. The Old Testament, the New Testament, and the last 2,000 years. So, what then should be our response to this vast 
amount of evidence of God's love. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you? Sing along if you know this song. You fill my heart with gladness. Take away all my sadness. Ease my troubles, that's what you do. It is generally agreed that Van Morrison wrote that as a prayer. We're not going to discuss Van Morrison, the pros and cons of bringing that into a message. But may I ask you this? When is the last time that you told the Lord there's no one else above him? The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Our first response as the church to the evidence is to worship him. He is worthy of unbridled praise, quiet, reverent awe like the sunflowers, and at times, unified, loud shouts of common appreciation of the greatness of our God. He wants to congregate with us as we meet Him. You know what congregation means? To come together to worship in the sanctuary. Sanctuary can be defined as a safe place of refuge. That's what we're doing today. Joining together in a safe place to worship as one. Our worship was designed by the one who treasures us in order to give us the pleasure of treasuring him. I love to look at what great thinkers say about worship. Here's Tim Keller. He just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Look at this, a book of the reason, of, the reason for God. Add it to your short list. Uh, in responding to Jonathan Edwards' thought that God commands us to worship, why? Because God wants our joy. Uh, Keller decided to elaborate on that, and he argued that God made us to ever increasingly share in his own joy and delight in the same way he has joy and delight within himself. We share his glory first as we give him glory. Now, while worship helps us, let's be careful not to let a consumer mentality impair your ability to worship corporately. Seek in your heart if at times you treat Church, like the KFC, I want original recipe. I would like a little more extra crispy. You know, it's amazing to me the amazing number of awesome sermons I can find on YouTube by just searching for a topic. The amazing worship I can find. Those are great things in their tools, but they are not being the church. God calls us to come together and meet and worship Him together and learn in the local body. What a precious gift it is. I also like reading something from our, our church library. It's great. This one is called The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey. He talks about his nostalgia was a decade before me. But he said, as America slides, I will work and pray for the kingdom of God to advance. If the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, the contemporary political scene hardly offers much of a threat. Then he goes on later in the book to say that we, the church, Jesus' successors, are left with the task of displaying signs of the kingdom of God, and the watching world will judge the merits of the kingdom of God by us, and we can be its heralds. Great sources, check these things out, but the pure milk 
is the main source we want. Amen, brothers and sisters? The pure milk. Look at 1 Peter 2. You are coming to Christ, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God, and you are precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Skipping a couple verses, we get to uh, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Turn to someone now and say, you are a royal priesthood. Would you do that now? Our priestly garments include fabric like compassion and kindness, but we're in process. Okay? The first thing we're to do in response is to worship. The second is to minister to each other and serve together. That's when things can get kind of nasty. We'll cue the song. I built walls, a fortress deep and mighty. I need some harmony here. That none may penetrate. Let's sing these Grinchy words together. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving eye disdain. Together, I am a rock. I am a... It's sick that you know that. My goodness gracious. Fantastic melody. Wonderful tandem of musicians. Bad theology. You know, there are some who might say and have said, I love Jesus, but not the church. Saw that on TV recently, a prominent musician. However, if Jesus loved the church, and I want to be like Him, different like Him, then I love the church too. You have living stones sitting next to you to the left and right. Each of them a treasured gem in the house of the Lord. You and your seatmates are priests, so we need to get along and get it right. If you have been hurt by the church, if an offense has been committed in your recent or distant past, it happens, and I am sorry. And there may, may be a need for deep planning and discussing and so forth, but not running. Let's be honest. Friendship causes pain, but it's not the church that committed the offense it's broken and flawed individuals. Take the opportunity right now even. If it's the only thing you do before communion, just release and forgive that individual as far as the east is from the west. Jesus prayed in John 17 that they may be how many? One, our enemy, the devil, he hates when the church is unified. He capitalized throughout history to build walls even during the pandemic, may I suggest? And he certainly relished some of the polarization that came to many local congregations. Let's be aware of his schemes. And if the busyness of life has displaced the priority of corporate worship for you, come on back. Don't forsake assembling together. Four of the results of healthy connection to the local church are humility, 
accountability, unity, and joy. Those aren't things that are necessarily on commercials on, on the networks these days. But think of these four, if you would. The first means valuing others before yourself. The second helps us re, uh, to resist temptation. The third is a witness to the world. And the fourth is far more than a mere emotion. It's an orientation of our hearts. It's a deep down settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. I love Ephesians 2, verses 22. In Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Let's allow the church to be a dwelling place where we stop, rest, listen to rain, delighting in the rain, and contemplating. Don't let the human tendency to be a rock and an island hinder the inevitable growth that will come to you as iron sharpens iron. And now, a third response we should have as the church. You just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Mm. Mm. Our third response is to be the church outside of the walls. Be the church where you work. Interact with your unbelieving coworkers. Validate their skills. Ask them to lend you a hand. They have wisdom, not about spiritual things per se, but technical and relational things. All truth is God's truth. Get to know your coworker's story. Be winsome. Be vulnerable. Not easily offended. Be slow to anger. This is being different like Jesus. Be the church where you live. Encourage the cashier. Chat with your neighbor. Pray for the students at the bus stop. Give the waiter a cash tip, not a Bible tract. Keep your property well-groomed. Coach your sport with toughness and love, modeling the fruits of the Spirit to your players. And be the church in your dialogue. Discuss current events with your close friends with civility, listening before talking, ask questions, maintain eye contact, pray and look for opportunities to share the good news in conversation. Be unapologetic for your faith as well. I love Norman Rockwell. Here's one of his great paintings, okay? Notice the, the folks are looking at this grandma and her grandson sheepishly and yet in admiration as you bow your head in prayer and it's not required to do that but the world is watching and they will want what you and i have look at this photograph of friday evening it's so cool you know the ministry of uh, the jungle aviation and response and radio service their ministry i love the president's vision statement, when we align our purposes with what God's heart is, stand back and watch. Because God loves the church, He wants to protect us. And He wants us to be the church. Now I invite you guys, as Bill Johnson blesses the Lord in music, 
Would you consider interacting with the passage from Romans in your study guide? It's not meant to be a trivia quiz. As a matter of fact, the answers are on the top of the back side. But, but rather, I ask you to internalize the truths as you do that. If, however, the Holy Spirit has told you to just stop, close your eyes, and listen and worship, go with the Holy Spirit. I would like us now to, and this is on the back of your bulletin guide, but I would like us to declare some scriptural truths Maybe have this be something you do in your personal devotional time or as a life group as well. Here are 12 declarations supported by Scripture, and I'd like you not to whisper them like a sunflower, but declare them like a whiteout of worship. Let's do it together right now. I am a child of God. I am chosen. I have eternal life. I am not lacking. I am renewed. I am a good work. And the next six, I am wonderfully made. I am His workmanship. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am gifted. I am cared for. And you are. Check out some suggested scriptures that go with that. But at this time, as Caleb Zimmerman ministers to the Lord, I invite you to remain resting or begin taking the communion elements and at your time, at your pace, taking the bread and the cup and reflecting on the beauty of the Lord. There is no rush for you to do it. We'd like if some go sort of right away, but uh, just worship the Lord as He directs you to do that. We believe and so we will act as the church. We believe and we trust that others will receive, that the, that the treasure box is not full yet. May the flood of grace flow out through you and me, the flawed yet prevailing church, telling the world that Jesus cares. Be your winsome, gifted self, and someday we will stand together with those from thousands of years ago and those who have not yet claimed Christ into their hearts, but will. We're going to stand before the throne and say, Lord, we are sunflowers. We bow in reverent worship to you. You are holy forever. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, you are dismissed. Go worship the Lord.